0: Good morning. It's a joy to be able to bring God's word to you. Uh, Fair warning this is not your typical Sunday before Christmas message. Uh, This is not a message that's going to be a holly jolly Christmas or glad tidings of joy to you and your kin, uh, for sure. Uh, In preparing this message, and to reinforce what Jeff had uh, been saying the last several weeks, was that Matthew was writing for a primarily Jewish audience, and to show that Jesus is the Christ that has been foretold throughout the Old Testament. Several years ago, I was doing a Bible study with uh, a former pastor, and we were studying the book of Matthew. And he said, every time you see the word fulfill in the book of Matthew, underline it. Every time you see the word Christ or Son of God or Son of Man, a title for Christ, underline it. I don't know if I did this by accident or I don't remember doing this at all, but it just so happened that every time I underlined um, Christ, it was in green, and fulfilled, it was in red. And, and if I'm flipping through Matthew, it's like Christmas colors just jumping out at the pages. Um, but Christ's blood, the red, sent to us, To fulfill the green, give us light, everlasting life. With that being said, let us read today's text. It's Matthew two, verses thirteen through twenty-three. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, "Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child." According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men, this was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel." But those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called. A Nazarene. Please join me in prayer. Father God, I ask that you would uh, be with us as I bring the message, Lord. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to apply these truths in our lives. Lord, uh, may my words be honoring and pleasing to you, and true, and from your word, and timely. Help me to speak your word and truth clearly. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this um, text kind of breaks down nicely into three main sections printed in your bulletin. You can see how they're nicely broken up there. And at the end of each one, there's a fulfillment of the prophecy from the Old Testament. What I like to do is just basically go and look at each of these three prophecies quickly, and then just simply ask, what is our response to this? The first one that I'd like you to notice is the obedience of Jacob. It's not really surprising given that he's had these dreams before, but it was immediate. Right after the Magi left, get out, now. It was very likely the very night that the Magi had gone. Herod's soldiers are on a seek and destroy mission. Notice in the text too, it says the child and his mother take the child and his mother. You would think it would say, Joseph, take your wife and kid and get out. Notice in the text, any time Jesus is mentioned with his mother, the emphasis is on Jesus. Joseph was told to go to Egypt. It wasn't an impossible journey. Definitely challenging, not impossible. In Egypt at that time, there was a large and established Jewish population. In Alexandria alone, there was over a million people, a million Jews. It's likely that they had friends and relatives there that would have been able to take them in to uh, give them shelter until Herod died. And the section ends with the prophecy of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. To understand this more fully, let's take a slight detour and look at who Hosea was. Hosea was a prophet. He was a minor prophet. Um, it's the first of the minor, 12 minor prophets. and the minor, it's not that they had a less important message in the Old Testament. It's just that these books are short. He's a contemporary of the prophets Isaiah and Micah. God gave Hosea a seemingly impossible task. He said, Hosea, you're going to be an object lesson. Your life is going to be an object lesson. You see, you're going to get married. I'm going to have you marry a woman named Gomer and Sorry, but whenever I think of that, I think of Gomer Pyle. I just can't get the image out of my mind like a female version of that. But I'm sure this Gomer must have been beautiful. Um, She was a prostitute, though. And before this marriage, God told Hosea, you're going to love her, but she's going to reject you. You're going to care for her, but she's going to betray you. Your trust, your love. She would leave him. She rejected him, yet Hosea over and over again continued to love her. It got to the point where Gomer was put up for sale as a slave, and Hosea redeemed her out of his love for her. This is a picture, a lesson of God's love for the nation of Israel, who consistently chose to worship idols and rejected God. There are consequences for their sin. But ultimately, this is a picture of God's love. This is a love that he has also for you and for me. Isn't this lesson in Hosea so often the same with us? How often do we forget God's love for us? We sin. So often we follow the devices and desires of our own hearts, our sinful desires. In the story of Hosea, we are Gomer. And God is Hosea. This is a story of God's love for his people and his promises to us. He's using the picture of marriage. Take a look just the next chapter in Hosea, uh, the second chapter of Hosea. God's promises of love. He says in Hosea 2:16, "In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband." And later on, he says, "I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice." in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Now, with that background uh, of the book of Hosea in mind, let's take a look at this prophecy in Matthew. That's from Hosea 11.1. 1. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. When you're reading Hosea, it's not like this is a forward prophecy, like he's talking about something in the future, he's referring to something in the past. This is written many years after in remembrance of the exodus. Israel is referred to as God's son in the Old Testament. You see, God used Moses to lead Israel, the Jewish people, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt, where they've been enslaved for over 400 years, to the Promised Land. The connection that you can take from here is that Jesus is God's son and he is shown as our true and better Moses. Jesus leads us out of slavery, out of bondage of sin. This is our exodus and into the promised land, salvation. Notice the many parallels of Jesus with the nation of Israel. They're both referred to as the Son of God. The Jews first entered into Egypt so that their lives would be spared from the famine just like Jesus first entered Egypt so that his life in this text would be spared. Pharaoh killed the babies and Moses was saved. Herod killed the boys in Bethlehem, which we'll get to. The Israelites were wandering in the desert for 40 years, grumbling, complaining, while Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, resisting Satan with scripture. Let's take a look back at our text of Matthew. Jesus is now safe in Egypt. Meanwhile, back in Bethlehem, this is the second prophecy, the second section that's printed in your hand up. Talks about Herod, King Herod, just a little background on him. There's not too much information on Herod in the Bible. Uh, a little bit, but there's a lot of information from extra-biblical sources and history books and the historian Jehoshaphis, Jehoshaphis. Um Herod was a brutal, brutal person. He had an incredible re- reputation of being paranoid, and the things that he did, the brutality in the land that he did, was unimaginable. He was paranoid. He was ruthless. He has to make control of the land, uh, or Rome could replace him at any time. He had ten wives. Killed three of them. He uh, two. Sorry, just. To, he killed three of his children. Yet, he claimed to be a Jew. He kind of was, not really. He was more an Edomite. That's a descendant of Esau. Um, the Jewish people despised his oppressive ways. He treated them unfairly, um, excess taxes, and just the brutality of his rule. Later in life, uh, he knew that one of his sons was planning on becoming king. That's why he killed him. Um, He he set out an edict, and he said, the day that I die, I know nobody's going to mourn me going, but I want mourning. I want you to round up one person from every Jewish household and kill them, so that there will be mourning in the land on the day of my death. Fortunately, the history books tell us that, that that didn't happen. So, let's get to the story here. This account of what happened in Bethlehem is not recorded in extra-biblical sources. And, and some would say that proves that it's not true. But there's an explanation for that. You see, Bethlehem was a small, small, tiny little town. Most people, when I was growing up, I heard this story. I had the visions that it was so many babies that were slaughtered. but. Most people, uh, scholars, think that it's somewhere between 12, maybe up to 20. Um, surely, it was terrible. But if you think about Herod's brutality and the things that he did, this is just a minor little thing. Okay? He did so many bad things that this story was basically nothing. But that doesn't help the parents of these babies that were killed, does it? Boys, two years old and under, slaughtered, can't even imagine the evil, the horror. Imagine holding a baby of that age, ripped out of your hands by soldiers who burst into the scene and thrust their swords into their children. There was weeping, utter sorrow. Prophecy number two, verse 18. That says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. This comes from the book of Jeremiah. And then again, when you look into Jeremiah and reading this, it doesn't look like Jeremiah is looking into the future of a prophecy. Excuse me. Instead, he's talking about and referring to the Israelites' sin, and there was consequences for their sin. And eventually, the Babylonians overtook them and carried them into captivity. And families were ripped apart. Families were destroyed. Many were killed. Rachel, at this point, was long dead. Okay, it says um, a voice is heard in Ramah. Rama is a city. There was a couple of different Ramas in in, uh, Israel at that time. It means like a higher elevated place. Rachel's tomb is actually a little bit higher than the city. And if you can envision it, she's dead, long dead. And she's uh, seen as the mother of Israel. And she sees from her tomb, it's like a a vision, or not a vision, it's a... uh, Imagine—I forget the word I'm looking for. She's seeing this, um, and it's mourning. She she can't imagine that Jews being taken captive, many families killed, ripped apart, widespread mourning. If you remember back, I said that Herod was an Edomite. Um, the Edomites actually helped and assisted the Babylonians against the Jews here. So that's probably even more reason for the Jewish people to uh, despise Herod. In Matthew 2, verse 18, this prophecy is fulfilled in the mourning of those in Bethlehem. This sadness must be unbearable. Bitter, bitter weeping. Like I said at the beginning of this message, this is a, it's a downer. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, you notice how when I mean, bad things happen during Christmas season. It hits harder. I was a senior in high school and uh, my best friend uh, was in a car accident and his best friend uh, was killed. And my friend uh, was in the hospital using critical condition. I, I think my mom called me that morning to tell me that it happened. And I remember going outside, getting a newspaper and there. I saw it seeing in black and white and not knowing if my friend had said in the paper that he was in critical condition. I didn't know if he was still alive. I didn't know what was going on. And it was two days before Christmas. And just imagining the parents, the, the, the horror of getting this news seems harder during the holidays for many. I wasn't supposed to find this out, but about 30 seconds before the service started, I found out that my brother-in-law's mother passed away this morning. So now we get to the point of the sermon, and I think that this is wholly and entirely appropriate God, by God's provision and grace that we look at this text today. The last Sunday before Christmas, at the end of 2021. These are such hard times for so many of us and so many different levels. Folks are mourning people that passed a long time ago or recently. It's a hard time of the year for some, just even the lack of daylight. Uh, Suffering, uh, devastating and real effects of depression, relational struggles with loved ones, long and debilitating health struggles, financial hardships, the, the long effects of COVID that we're going through. These are hard times. Loved ones struggling. And, and when we, in our biggest problem, when we suffer and we struggle with sin in our lives, these are hard times. You know, it's been said, too, that in the past year, even amongst our sessions, some of us, including our pastor, are seemingly working at 50%, less than 50%. It's been hard. I feel that way. I know many of us do. I implore you to keep each other. Keep the session Keep Tyler, keep Pastor Jeff in your constant prayers. But on reflection to that, thanks be to God. Because as we live our lives, contend for the truth, defend the purity of the church and the gospel of Jesus, as we love one another, when times are hard especially, we can't do that within our own strength. But by wholly and entirely relying on the gracious. The of God. But look at the text. In Jeremiah, the very next verse, he said that verse is, quote, Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. The very next verse, in verse 16, says, Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. There is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. Let's take a look at the next part. Next prophecy, Herod has died. The angel in a dream told Joseph to bring the child and his mother to Israel. Joseph probably wants to go back to Bethlehem. Things are quiet. Nobody really knew him there, but he can't. He's warned by the angel not to go there. Archelaus is Herod's son and Archelaus has the same reputation as his father. Okay, this this will be dangerous. He decides to return to his homeland of Nazareth. Herod's other son was in charge of this area. He wasn't as evil as what his father was. But remember, Mary's pregnancy was scandalous in Nazareth. Joseph probably doesn't want to deal with this, but he has probably no place else to go. So he goes and returns to Nazareth. And we look at the prophecy, verse 18. And he went and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. One problem with that. This prophecy is not in the Old Testament. It's not found. Why? Well, there's several possibilities, there's several different uh, options uh, that scholars have said. But I think two uh, make sense to me that i like to quickly highlight. One is Nazareth, the town, is not mentioned in the Old Testament at all. However, the Hebrew translation, they didn't use the vowels. It's N-Z-R. Uh, it would translate as Netzer. And it means branch or shoot growing out of a tree. This would explain the um, prophecy in Isaiah 11.1. 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Jesse's David's father, Isaiah 11.1, 1, is referring to the coming of a future Messiah. So that's, that's one possible explanation. Um, here's another one. Nazareth. And John, Nathaniel asked Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth has a reputation of being like the worst place. Nothing good comes from there. Nobody good comes from there. It's just got that reputation of a town. No, yeah, you don't want to go there. And not only that, there Jesus was despised by his own. He was rejected by the rejected. He was despised by the despised. This fulfills prophecies made over and over again in the Old Testament, specifically in Psalms and in Isaiah, that the Messiah will be despised and rejected by his own. Up until the cries of crucify him came and he hung on the cross. What's interesting about this is Nazareth, nothing good comes from Nazareth. Remember when um, Paul is on the road and he's recounting his story of how Jesus uh, came down to him, and Jesus spoke to him from heaven. Jesus actually honored Nazareth. He said, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He, he spoke Nazareth from heaven. It's just an amazing thing. What's our response to all of this? Know that the pattern of suffering in the Bible is used by God over and over again. That God uses suffering to lead us to salvation. Time again, we can find countless examples. Abraham and Sarah, barren for years, leads to the birth of Isaac. Just a couple of examples. Joseph, sold by his brothers as a slave, used to save his people from famine. Naomi and Ruth, experiencing the death of loved ones, led to salvation and joy. David, being pursued, his life threatened by Saul, led to him becoming a king. Jesus, his whole life rejected, scorned, mocked, killed. This is the resurrection of life, defeating evil. What is our response? Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. The beginning of James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We can rejoice because we have hope. When we have hope, we can offer that to others, bearing one one another's burdens. Notice in all of this the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in protecting his child, his son, Jesus Christ, so that he can live his life to ultimately sacrifice it for us. And that same sovereignty, know this, that God promises never to leave us or forsake us. He preserves you and me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my heavenly father. All things are working together together for my salvation and for your salvation. He gives us true peace and and joy. So in the midst of our pain and our sufferings, what is our response to Jesus? Because all of this, this, this love so amazing, so divine, that Jesus would come down from his throne in heaven to be with us, in all of our mess to die for us. This demands a response from us. We can act indifferent or ignore this like most of the scribes and Pharisees did when he was born. Or we could be threatened by Jesus or we fight against him as King Herod did. That leaves us facing these hardships without any true hope, which leads to ultimate failure and eternal death. Or our response can be what the Magi did. They came and they worshipped. Come to him. They came in thankfulness and in awe to worship him. Emmanuel, God with us. As the Israelites eagerly awaited the coming of Emmanuel, as they wait, we rejoice. Even while we are experiencing these hard times and often unbearable times, We rejoice because we know he is with us now. And we eagerly await and anticipate his coming again to restore all things. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for our hardships as crazy as that may sound, Lord, because we know you are using them to draw us near to you. We thank you for the gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would make that truth more fully known and real to each and every one of us this Christmas season and always. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We now have an opportunity.